Welcome to the Kim B. Davis Show. Here we'll talk to the leaders in technology, culture, business, and the arts. We'll cover politics, advocacy, motherhood, writing, mental health, and mostly we'll focus on hope. Join Kim B. Davis, author, playwright, radio personality, event consultant, professional speaker on the Kim B. Davis Show. Good evening and welcome to the Kim B. Davis Show. I'm your host, Kim B. Davis. And this evening we have a special guest. We have Christopher Banks. He is the Deputy Director for Digital Organizing for a Human Rights Campaign. And this evening we're going to talk human rights. Good evening, Chris. How are you? Thank you for being on the Kim B. Davis Show. I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. So, Chris, tell us first about your role Tell us what human rights are and why it's important. For sure. So um, my role is um, I'm a deputy director for digital organizing, which means a lot of organizations post-pandemic are looking at how to engage communities on the, in the online space. And that looks different to every organization. So right now, what Human Rights Campaign is trying to do is make sure like we can take things, we can take our supporters and move them from online to offline, but then also find ways to engage online that are just as fulfilling. So I've served in similar roles on a Biden campaign and in different um, organizations in the past. And so now what we're trying to do is like, how do we build a narrative, create community in the digital space to engage people at all types of levels? Mm -hmm. So that's what we're trying to do really, really taking like, taking the digital space and not using it as just like a place where we put messages, but really want to build community and bring people in that way. Excellent. So why are human rights important? When we hear that, it's a buzzword. And oftentimes, so I'm going to date myself and I am a little bit older than you. And so I remember Tiananmen Square in China in 1989 with children facing off army tanks. And so often when we hear human rights, we'll see imagery such as that. Or we will hear about when this the Soviet Union disbanded in 1991. And so now people will say, well, the USSR isn't, isn't around. China is different. The world is different. Why are we still talking human rights? Um, because people want basic, I mean, we're still fighting for basic access to systems within the American government, but across the world. But I think like where we are in society is that we're at a point where like the basic right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in this country is not equal and afforded to all people. Um, and so that's like one of the biggest things that like we advocate for. Within Human Rights Campaign, we advocate like specifically for LGBTQ plus Americans, but we are in a space where like we are advocating because, you know, some of the most vulnerable communities exist in that community. So like we, people still don't have access to housing. People still don't have access to, you know, food, basic needs. And if you fall into some of these categories and some of the queer categories, especially if you're black and queer in some of these spaces, like it is a disproportionately harder for you to access those basic needs. So we're still fighting for human rights because people don't have the basic needs, you know, to get through on a day-to-day -day basis. So when we talk about in America and people will say, well, everyone has a right to be employed. Everyone has a right to housing because we have laws in place. Talk to us about the laws that we do have in place and how companies, entities, or organizations are able to get around those laws. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, 
we have laws that say, yes, people should not discriminate. Um, but we also like in several states, you can still be discriminated for, for being a queer person. You can still be discriminated for being um, gay in the workplace. You can still be, you know, fired for that. There are still places that can refuse to rent to you if you, um, if you identify as something other than the sex you're born. Um, you know, if you can't get access to documents, right? People transition and they become, you know, different people. They don't have access to documents so that they can, you know, achieve housing. So there are barriers. There are barriers to adoption. There are barriers to surrogacy. There are all types of barriers that exist now for people who, you know, don't fit the cisgender white male space um, to access things, just basic access of, you know, like you said, housing, education. Mm -hmm. You know, people can be kicked out of school if they identify um, as trans because there are not laws on the books. And so one of the biggest things that we're fighting for now is the Equality Act at the federal level, because mm -hmm. the Equality Act will be the first time that we enshrine those rights and take away those discriminations at the federal level, because we don't have a blanket protection. We don't have blanket protections for a lot of groups in you know society right now. And the Equality Act will be one of those things that will make sure we codify anti-discrimination against all Americans in this country. Okay. So I want to give you a situation and I, I want you to talk me through this. So there have been several instances throughout the country where we've had businesses such as bakers. And I've, I've heard this story more often than not, where you will have a gay, lesbian, transgender couple come in, want to purchase something, or later the baker will find out and then decide not to bake that cake. What do you say to people who, who will say, well, it's the business's uh, prerogative to decide whether or not they want to service that? How does that, how does that decision impact society overall, or does it? I think a lot of people, you know, don't understand that it's very similar to a business choosing not to serve Black people. Um, it is like, the it is like the parallel in the same way whereas like you know people say we don't serve these types of people you cannot discriminate against a person um if you choose the you know it's it's the same thing so if you believe in civil rights in the civil rights movement traditionally where like people were fighting for a seat at the table inside diners and restaurants this is the same thing it is like essentially 100 the same thing in that like businesses actively choosing to discriminate for people against something that is like out of their control people don't understand it like there are a lot of opinions out there on gender and sex and or sexual orientation. But for most people that are queer and identify as queer, it is something that is them and is as inherently to them, you know, who they are as the color of your skin. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to understand that, like, when you say these things and you say, oh, a business has the right to do so, you're essentially saying a business also has the right to discriminate against Black people, Korean people, Asian people, Latinx people. Um, you're saying the same thing in just a different way. <laughs> Thank you for that. So the midterms are coming up and we've heard troubling legislation. So I'm going to start right with Florida because Florida seems to be the bonanza for all types of things. They are actively banning books in Florida. They are also have a campaign uh, that says, and forgive me if I'm saying this incorrectly, I thought it said no promo for homo or something basically saying that we're not gonna talk about uh, gay, lesbian, transgender issues. There's also been legislation that has been proposed 
that we won't discuss history because we don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. And if you are feeling uncomfortable, there has been a tip line established. Talk to us about how this is impacting midterms and why it's important for people to get out for midterm elections. For sure. I think the Republican Party, well, not let me not say Republican, I think conservative <laughs> Americans um, have decided that they have they they have their um their magic formula for the midterms and their magic formula is um show that we are show that the white middle class american is under attack right and they're under attack from a big coalition of people that includes african americans that includes other minorities that includes gay people that includes trans people right and so they're at this point where they are deciding to actively find issues where there are non-issues. Um, in South Dakota, for example, there has been an anti-trans sports bill for youth, which is a solution to a problem that does not exist. In Florida, the don't say gay bill is what they're calling it, um, no promo homo. But like they want to essentially say to people that feel disenfranchised that yes, you are disenfranchised. And the reason why you're disenfranchised is because of these magical things like CRT and trans people. And if we you know, actively legislate them, you know, to back to like second class citizenry, then you can thrive again. That's what's happening um, in, a, in a sense. It's like a lot of people don't understand is that like when you critical race theory is not a thing, right? <laughs> it's just history, right? It's just like teaching things that happen. Um, oh, we don't want white kids. I, I saw some recently said like, we don't want white kids to feel bad by reading Michelle Obama's book. And I think like a lot of times for me, you are defaulting to say that also you don't have any heroes in the story either, right? Like you're like you're accepting that like whiteness is inherently bad, like when you start to do things like this, because you have heroes in the story. You have abolitionists, you have people that fought alongside the people who, you know, minorities disenfranchised people. So like you could also use this opportunity to highlight that. I think like, you know, if I were a white kid and I saw like, oh, there were good white people, maybe that will, you know, make me want to be a good white person, whatever the case may be. But I think like you know, the conservative Americans have determined what they want to do. They've determined what this midterm is, and this midterm is a culture war for them. And I think like on the, you know, progressive and non, you know, non-conservative side, I don't really know what the game plan is yet. And I think like, you know, we're trying to figure out, navigate what that looks like. We don't want to be on defense, but like they've already taken offense by saying like race theory and like, you know, the LGBTQ plus people are disenfranchising your community. You need to fight right now. So that's where we are. And unfortunately, and, and you're correct. And right now we are a very divided nation. And there have been a few polls that have been done. And it was interesting because there was a poll that asked, do you feel that the United States is going in the right direction? And different minority groups all were concerned. The greater population of Caucasian people felt like, everything is okay. We're, we're getting back on track. Chris, talk about how we got here, because some people will say this started under the election of President Barack Obama, and that there was a, um, a, 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 a slap back against that because people were afraid because they felt as if, oh, wait, does that mean that we're all on an even playing field and I'm not allowed? Just like we're having the conversation around affirmative action and colleges 
bringing students on and saying that, well, because you're this particular nationality or this ethnicity, that you get preferential treatment when actuality, that's not actually how it works. But can you talk about how we got here and some of the things that you're hearing from your campaign um, and what you guys are doing to address it? I think we got here a lot of ways. I will agree that like, you know, I think President Obama and President Trump represent the United States in two very different ways, right? Two very different ideologies. I don't think President Trump represents a conservative America. I think President Trump represents the residual of what he saw in Obama to become a celebrity type president. And I think he monopolized on that. I don't think that he's a traditional conservative. I don't think that any, I don't think any of those things about him. But what I do believe is that he saw that there's, you know, celebrity power and being president, right? Mm -hmm. And so he met, so he was like, what can I take to keep my ratings up? And he realized that there is a segment of Americans that are that feel disenfranchised that aren't actually disenfranchised. And so I think like what has happened is that like people don't understand that their success has come at the disadvantage of other people. So like you have had the ability to just be regular and basic for so long, right? For lack of better words because other people have been stifled. Now that those people aren't stifled as much, you're seeing the level, you're seeing the playing field level and to you, it feels like disenfranchised, right? So I think like, that's how we get here. We get here by taking parts of our population and saying, you are a second class citizen. You are a second class citizen, but we don't think that you're a second class citizen. You know, that's what we say outwardly, but we know we are making you a second class citizen. And then as you start to get towards the same playing field, now I feel disenfranchised because I can't be, for lack of better, as organizations now. And so people feel like, oh, you know, they're discriminating against us when you don't realize that, like, no, we're catching up to 200 years of disenfranchisement um, and we're still nowhere close to where we need to be, uh, but no one is disenfranchising you. You just said a mouthful, and and, and I, I think you're you're right. Would you say that our democracy is in trouble? Um, yeah, for sure, one hundred percent. I think, like you know, as someone who worked on the twenty twenty election and saw like our collective goal was to make sure that like we preserve democracy. I think like nothing else attributes to the success of that campaign than like there were so many Americans that were like, okay democracy is at stake, right? And we're like, I need to be involved with this because democracy is at stake. Yeah, it's in, it's, it's in peril. Like we are at a point where political contributions matter more than like what people say. Um, we're at a point where like people are not held accountable. So we are in a real unique place right now as it relates to um, preserving our democracy. I think it is in peril. Um, I think we can restore it, but I it's going to take a lot of work. And I think there are people actively like working to demolish that. You got things like Q where people believe completely crazy conspiracy theories. So like we're, we're combating a lot right now. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. if you ask people, I'm on TikTok a lot. If you ask people that were from nations, um, African nations, European nations that have fallen, you'll see a lot of them talking about the similarities in case. Right. And so I think it's really important for people to not just look at the situation in terms of like, I am an American, but look at it in terms of like, globally, now that you have access to all these other people, right? Who have all these experiences, what are they saying 
about our situation that reminds them of their situation. Um, so either A, we can avoid it or B, we can see it coming and like not be shocked when it happens, right? So I think like we're, and we're at a very interesting point though, but like there are a lot of examples out there that we could be looking to um, to make us better actors in this situation. Excellent. What are people saying? Uh, when you guys are on the ground in terms of pushing for human rights, what is what is the feeling? Is it positive? Is it negative? Is it in the middle? I think a lot of oh, I think a lot of people are at a point where um, people wish more people were engaged, right? Mm-hmm. Like so, like I think you have people who are constantly always engaged. Those are the activists you talk to the most. But there are like also like activists that want a lot more people to be engaged in this work. And we're fighting every day to get more people engaged in this work. And it does sometimes feel like, what am I doing? You know, what can I do to advance the movement if there are not like, I don't know if these if these powerful people are going to keep doing what they do. Now, I've only been at this organization for, a, you know, a few weeks now. Um, but I think like even just in, in progressive, like the progressive landscape from people I've talked to, people I've worked with, you know, it is like every time we take a step forward, there's going to be steps back. And like they keep trying to change the rules every time we change the rules. Um, so I think people are energized and fired up and they're ready to like get something done. Uh, but, you know, every time we don't necessarily know what that is that needs to get done. Right. I think I think they like there's constantly moving targets. And that's because we are often playing defense in a lot of places, right? And a lot of states are playing defense. We're not in control. We're not in charge. And because of that, they know that they can like take these random social issues like CRT, blow them up, get support, and then leave people hanging at every other part of their societal needs, right? But because those people feel good about this social thing that's passed, we're at a point now where like, it's just, it's this very weird thing where, excuse me, we're like, we're playing defense in a world where people have figured out that they don't actually have to do much for their constituents. They could just actively like put up these fake wars about these social issues and their people will follow them to the end. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that at school board meetings across the country where everybody is arguing about CRT and critical race theory, better known as CRT, is taught at the collegiate level, is not taught in elementary school, middle school, high school, any uh, younger level. It is really for adults. Talk to me, Chris, because we are still in the pandemic. It's 2022. It's February. COVID is still going on. We have all types of variants going on. Is that impacting your campaign in terms of getting out and talking to people and people getting engaged? Because you have so much uh, politically, and I'm saying that intentionally, that surrounds COVID, the politicization of COVID. Talk to us a little bit about that. For sure. So I think like, you know, we are in offices right now. Mm -hmm. Um, We are still like, we're still like remote for a while. I think like some of the like traditional underground activism is slowly getting back to where it was. Um, But I think like, yes, this impacts everybody's work, right? Mm -hmm. I've been behind a computer screen since 2020, um, you know, doing work and trying to like figure things. I think like, depending on where you are, some states have gone back to normal. Some states are like, operating as normal. So we are having actions, people are doing things. Um, and then some states it's, it's, it's not okay, right? It's not okay to be active like that. So I think like it varies, but like that's when you have to get inv- you know, innovative and use things like digital tools to get folks engaged to really like start to like 
figure out how we can take these tools we have and like maximize the ability to get people engaged. And so speaking of digital tools, talk to us a little bit about how the digital world is impacting. Um, and I've worked with you before. And so I know you talk about the power of social media, but a lot of times when people talk about digital organizing, they think, oh, I'm just going to put a post up on social media. Is it just putting a post up on social media or is it a little bit more than that? I think it's evolving, right? I think part of it is putting a post on social media. I think also a part of it is getting people um, to understand the power that they have. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like also it's about community building. So like, yes, we can still do our traditional things, phone calls, you know, text messaging, sign up for this thing, sign this petition. But I think we need, we're evolving to the point where like people want to feel a part of something, especially given the fact that like now in this pandemic, like people have been behind their computers for years, right? For years. And so like, I think we're at a point now where like you can build community with people and then also make people realize the power that they have. You can have an audience, like you have people that you, that look to you for certain information about issues, whether it's like what's happening at the kid's school or what the case may be, right? You as a validator, we're using digital now to empower you to talk to your communities about the issues that matter, right? So it's about like really developing leaders around the communities that they have and not so much like, hey, you do this thing for us, right? hey, you, like, come to this event. It's much more like, how can we help you empower your community to be active in this work? So I think, like, digital has evolved to that. I don't know what just happened here. Oh, my goodness. Um, digital has evolved to that where, um, and, okay. Uh, <laughs> this is, oh, goodness. Yeah. So digital has evolved to that where it is this thing now where people are, um, goodness, 2020, where people yes. are, People are, there we go, I'll sit here. Okay. Where people <laughs> are navigating, um, you know, in new spaces, new ways to like really engage. And so I think like it is less about how it used to be where it's like, hey, we're campaigning, we'll put out a message, we want you to do this thing for our campaign. Now we're much more like, hey, you are a community leader, let's move you up a ladder of engagement, let's get you the tools necessary to get involved. And like, let's get you talking to your people about this issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Chris, we have a few more minutes. Tell us about what your greatest concern is in your role. What issue are you most concerned about? I think right now, like one of the biggest things, make sure we pass the Equality Act. I think passing the Equality Act and voting rights are two of the biggest concerns right now in yes. anybody's like purview. I think like anybody who is doing any work in the progressive space right now, one, the Equality Act, like just to preserve the morale of people who feel like they've been beaten up for a while or feel like all the progress they've made, especially in the queer community, all the progress we've made since Don't Ask, Don't Tell, right? Or like since marriage equality is like being reversed and chipped at like piece by piece by piece in states, right? And I think like, you know, to be able to pass that legislation and really like enshrine that equality is important. But then I think also another thing that is like at stake is voting rights. If people don't have the right to vote, if people don't have access to the ballot box, if the ballot box is rigged, then like we don't have a democracy. And if like they're going to continue to actively like try to hinder people from getting access to the ballot box, we're in a really we're in a really, really sad place. And so I think like those are the two things that matter the most to me right now in my work. Excellent. And those are, are two very good uh, pieces of legislation that do need to pack that do need to pass and that impact all of us as Americans. Chris. Is there a way for people to get involved with this particular campaign or to learn more about it? How can we um, 
find you on social media. Tell us how we can reach you and then how we can learn more about your campaign. For sure. Um, so I'm at KD underscore banks on all social media platforms. That's Twitter. That's Instagram. That's all of them. Feel free to follow me at any of those places. Chris Banks on social. Um, and I usually link to my work there. But like if you wanted to follow the human rights campaign, it's at HRC on Twitter and then humanrightscampaign.org. Excellent. Thank you for being on the Kim B. Davis show and giving us an update on what's happening with human rights and talking politics, politics. We hope that you will join us on another episode and get us up to speed on where you are. For sure. Um, when I am not having technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> we understand we're still in the middle of a pandemic and it's 2022. So things happen. So again, thank you for being on. Thank you no guys for tuning in to the Kim B. Davis show. You know, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, everywhere on social media. And it's Kimberly Bachelor Davis. Bachelor is spelled B-A-T-C-H-E-L-O-R. You can see this show at youtube.com forward slash Kimberly Bachelor Davis. You can hear this show on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. And you can learn more about me as an author at KimBDavis.com. Thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you to see you on our next episode. And as always, remember, be magnificent.